Good evening, Hampton Roads. Welcome to another edition of Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. My co-host CFP Allison DeBrill is away this week on vacation, but I'm here in the studio live as I usually am every second and fourth Tuesday of the month to dialogue with you, take your calls. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, then I'd love to hear from you. All I need is your first name, city you're calling from, and no matter what I'm talking about, if it's important to you, it's important to me, we'll get you right on air. 627-7979. That's 627-7979. Wealthway Financial Advisors is the proud sponsor of Dollars and Common Sense. We are an independent registered investment advisor which means we're legally held to a fiduciary standard to put our client's interest ahead of our own in any business dealing. And that's the way it should be when you work with a financial advisor. As the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. So by design, we can't work with everyone. We work with a relatively small group of high net worth individuals, but that's one of the reasons we feel so strongly about coming here every second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 6 p.m., and that's to reach out and help as many people in the Hampton Roads listening area as we can achieve your measure of financial success, because it is a core belief at Wealthway Advisors that the overwhelming majority of the people in this country have the opportunity for financial security if they choose it. And it's a choice because it takes some time, it takes some effort, and it takes some knowledge. We are here to help. You go take that first step, though. Pick up the phone, give us a call, 627-7979, whether you want to talk about anything having to do with the investment markets, with the economy, insurance products like life insurance, health insurance, property casualty, taxes, tax planning, tax reduction strategies. We're in the home stretch here for tax filing for 2021, but it's not too late to start planning now for 2022. Retirement planning, retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs, TSP, 457, so on and so forth. IRAs, Roth IRAs, mortgage options, social security claiming strategies, or estate planning, wills and trusts, all that and more falls under the umbrella of personal finance we are here to discuss tonight. And yes, I'll have to go it alone tonight. Allison on vacation in Utah, hiking and camping with her husband and seeing all this great country has to offer and probably drinking watered-down beer and wine. Do they still do that in Utah? Do they have below-average alcohol content? I know they did at one time. Anyway, I'm sure uh, she's resourceful. She'll find a way around that. Um, But I'm here tonight. I I wanted to talk tonight about, I think, inflation. Uh, Some big headline news today. Uh, Inflation rate uh, or the Consumer Price Index, which is the official government uh, measuring tool of inflation uh, or general consumer prices, was up 8.5% today in March. Um, that reading just came out today. In February, Consumer Price Index was up 7.9%. 
and in January, 7.5%. So these are very recent and dramatic shifts in the rate of inflation over the last few months. Now, I want to put some of this in context because I know there will be a lot of uh, hand-wrangling and teeth-gnashing about the higher inflation levels. Uh, I will say this, though. We've had a good run. We've had a real good run. Uh, The long-term average inflation rate as measured by the Consumer Price Index for the last 50 years has been about 3.9% per year on average. You go back the last 100 years, that uh, CPI average annual number goes down to about 3.1. So somewhere in the threes, between 3 and 4% um, is about the average long-term amount of price inflation we tend to see on any given year. Well, we haven't seen even 3% for about the last 30 years. You'd have to go back to about 1992 before the Consumer Price Index and inflation was above 3% for any significant length of time. We have ticked up above 3 on a couple of occasions in the last 30 years, but it hasn't lasted very long. So this is the highest. Uh, these readings are the highest it's been in the last 30 years. And if they remain a short-term trend, then this is nothing to be overly concerned about. It's obviously not pleasurable to deal with, um, and it causes a fair amount of the goods and services that we all purchase to go up in price, which means more of our pay is going to groceries and bills and gas and uh, other things than maybe into our savings account or for things that bring us joy and pleasure in life. So so it is something to be to keep an eye on, but it is not something to be overly concerned with at this point. And I know a lot of news media outlets will make a big deal out of this. Um, again, it is something to keep an eye on, but not something to be over-concerned with yet, because for the last 30 years, the inflation rate in the United States has been consistently below its long-term trend of 3% for the last 30 years. So we've had a pretty good run from an inflation standpoint. And and I should make the overall general comment, too, is, you know, some inflation, a little inflation, is good, natural, and healthy. Too much, too soon inflation can be disruptive to the marketplace, to the stock market, to companies, and to the individual. We're not there yet. Um, we've got a ways to go, but some level of inflation, price increases, uh, is good, normal, and natural because it nudges people to purchase things today instead of put off that purchase, say, two or three years, when they know it's going to be a little bit more expensive. And that's generally good and healthy in a consumer-oriented society. What you don't want really is deflation, prices declining too soon, too quickly, en masse, uh, because then people hold off on their purchases. And then they say, well, if it's cheaper this week, it's just going to be that much cheaper next month. 
And if it's going to be cheaper next month, then it's going to be cheaper next year. So I'm just going to wait. Then no one, then the, the buying starts to dry up. So that's not deflate. That's why deflation is uh, a bigger concern than inflation, uh, except it's exceptionally rare to really experience a major economy like ours to have any sort of significant deflation to last uh, any amount of time. So a little bit of inflation, normal and healthy. Uh, the numbers are starting to tick up here uh, in the last few months. Not going to get into the, so much of the hows and the whys and um, the reasons why it's occurring. Um, but I want to talk about some of the things that you can do to prepare for it or to adjust to it um, if it continues at a more elevated rate right now. And then also some of the effects of uh, higher than average inflation, what that can do from an investment perspective as well. And I'll get into some of those after the break, but I got to step aside. Just take a quick break. Be right back after these messages. Again, if you want to jump in on the conversation or have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, give me a call on studio line 627-7979. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivda. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790. WNIS. And welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. My uh, co-host, Allison DeBrill, away on vacation this week. But we're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial question and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. All right, talking about inflation tonight, some um, big headline news that came out today is that the uh, Consumer Price Index uh, was up 8.5% in March. That was on the back of 7.9% in February and 7.5% in January. A long-term inflation trend ranges between 3 and 4%. So we are almost double uh, long-term inflation trends over the last few months. But the pr uh, prior 30 years uh, has been below trend, below 3%, virtually all that entire time. So having a little bit of near-term inflation, while not pleasant, is also not the end of the world. So let's talk about some of the things, that, what you can do, what you should do about inflation, and what you should not do about inflation, um, and how you can manage your way through a higher inflationary environment. So, first of all, uh, watch out for your cash. Cash is not king in a elevated inflationary environment. The cash, by cash, I mean that cash that's basically sitting in bank accounts, savings accounts, checking accounts, money markets, uh, most CDs at this point in time, um, any other type of special savings account that you have, bank assets. Bank assets uh, are almost always, prevailing rates on bank assets are almost always below prevailing inflation rates. So whatever money sits in the bank for 
most period of time is actually eroding its purchasing power a little bit over time due to the fact that it's not growing or earning as much as the current inflation rate. Now, having some bank assets is necessary, vital, and healthy in an overall financial plan. And we always talk about having an emergency fund in safe, secure bank assets to serve as the financial foundation of a good financial plan. And that's roughly defined as three to six months of your living expenses tucked away in uh, a bank savings account, earning whatever current prevailing rates are. You're not trying to squeeze another tenth percent of interest out of it. That's not the purpose of that money. That purpose of that money is security, safety, and like the name implies, for only emergencies. It's not for um, a new dress or fancy sport coat or a couch for the living room or a trip to Cabo. It's for when the car breaks down or you have unforeseen medical expenses or a tree falls through the house in your roof. That's a big unforeseen. Those are big unforeseen uh, expenses. That's where your emergency fund comes in and allows you to sleep comfortably and safely at night knowing you got the basis covered. Now, one of the strategies we like to employ with our clients as they enter retirement is to essentially uh, build their emergency fund up to even a higher, higher level of savings. So where a person who's in the accumulation phase is, is still working, still earning money, uh, three to six months is typically good for most people of um, savings to keep in the bank account. When you get in retirement and you start living off of your nest egg and consuming your nest egg to support your lifestyle, that's when we like to see a higher bank balance. So there we like to see sometimes up to 12 months to 24 months. So anywhere between one to two years of living expenses tucked away in a bank account and there, if you go up to the higher ends of that, that's where some of that money could be put into a CD for like a, a 12-month CD, six-month CD, maybe 18-month CD. You can try to eke out a little bit more return uh, on on that type of money if you're going to keep that high balance. And the reason why we like to, our retirees to keep a higher balance like that is because when the portfolio goes through an inevitable pullback because the market pulls back, if that pullback is steep enough, deep enough, takes long, too long to recover, then we can reduce the amount of the portfolio withdrawals. You purposely draw down from your bank account and your lifestyle is completely protected and you don't have to worry about what the markets are doing in the short term and your lifestyle is never impacted. And yet you um, benefit from long-term growth of keeping the money invested in growth type of assets. So beyond those parameters of how much to keep in the bank, I mean that's about that's how much you should keep in bank assets from a financial planning perspective. Now there definitely can be some psychological reasons, and we have plenty of clients uh, who like to keep even more than that in their bank. Um, and we don't arm wrestle that too much because it's a very personal thing, how much of money stays in the bank despite what the analysis and the numbers say. But 
Keeping too much money in the bank is not good for your overall financial health because too much in the bank means that it's not keeping pace with inflation, its purchasing power is being eroded, and while it doesn't fluctuate in value in the bank, you are losing money a little bit every year, especially if you're only earning 0.1% on your savings rate and inflation is now trucking along at 7 or 8% annualized per year. So now you're really falling behind to the effects of inflation, and that's why you don't want to overfund bank account assets, savings accounts, CDs, you're always you're just going to be f- fall that much further behind. And while it is true, as inflation picks up, typically for a variety of reasons, interest rates will also rise, and we're seeing that happen. The rise in interest rates typically is much slower and lags the rates of inflation, and then by the time it trickles down to your actual financial institution and your actual type of checking account or savings account or CD that you have at the bank, there's a big lag in there before prevailing interest rates. You start to feel those prevailing interest rates in your savings rates. So that's why you don't want to keep too much money in the bank beyond the amounts that are necessary and safe for comfortable lifestyle. So another thing to be aware of when it comes to inflation is that inflation is very personal. One person's one person is, can be more impacted by the rising prices of goods and services than another depending on the types of goods and services that one consumes. So if you can be somewhat flexible, have the ability to be flexible in your buying patterns, then sometimes you can navigate your way through a inflationary rising price environment and not be as impacted as some other people. So for example, some of this is natural too. I mean, for example, I mean, if uh, people who are, you know, in their 20s and just starting out in the workforce, typically uh, because they're younger, they are also healthier. The above average rates of inflation in the healthcare system typically does not impact them too much, if at all, because they rarely seek medical services except for routine in most cases. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're in your 80s, then the cost of uh, the rising cost of healthcare is a big concern because we tend to consume more of them once we get older and later in life. So the fact that inflation is personal um, means it will affect each one of us differently. And for example, when it comes to the price of gas, which tends to hit most people, now with uh, the practical application of electric vehicles, well, we're finding out that, hey, you know, some people, you don't have to you pay a dollar for gas. If you have 100% electric or even if you have a hybrid, you're certainly reducing your gas intake. So if gas is 4 450 a gallon, 
doesn't impact your lifestyle much at all. If you're plugging in either at home or at a public charging station, and there's plenty of them around town now in Hampton Roads where you can charge in for free or no additional cost. Um, if you're at a restaurant or a parking garage or something like that, a lot of them have complimentary charging. So the rising gas price doesn't affect you either. So being able to adapt your spending patterns and your lifestyle to what's happening in the economy and the, and the, and the types of goods and services that are seeing the most inflation – um, allows you to navigate your way through it a little bit easier. Now, the one area most of us can't get away from too much is the grocery store. Uh, that's where people like uh, Damien, who basically grow their own crops and raise their own goats and stuff down in North Carolina, I mean, doesn't impact him as much as well. So just an example. All right, we're going to be back uh, after the break here, the news, talking more about inflation. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM790. WNIS. And welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. I'm from Wealthway Financial Advisors. The premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, you can look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. Once there, you can request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter. Just go to the contact page. Put your name and address in the dialog box there, select the appropriate drop-down menus, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we'll use your name and address for is just to send you the information that you request. Or if you'd like to talk to a live human being and have some more nuanced questions, give us a call at the office, 757-456-2200. Probably speak with Donna when you call in. And while we are live every second and fourth Tuesday of the month, that's 6 p.m. Next show will be Tuesday, April 26th. Uh, we also have a rebroadcast of this show on Saturday morning following the week of the show. So this Saturday, sometime in the morning, you have a rebroadcast of this show. Or you can get the show as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Search for Dollars in Common Sense. Download us. Take us with you wherever you go. Listen to us on your schedule. And for those of you in social media, you can also connect with us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search for Wealthway Financial Advisors on those social media apps. All right, tonight we're talking about inflation and what you can do about inflation if it continues to remain elevated for an extended period of time. If you want to jump in on this conversation or have any question or comment relating to your own personal financial situation, give us a call on the studio line, 627-7979. I said at the top of the show, uh, inflation numbers for March just came in at 8.5%. That's over double long-term inflationary trend. The last few months have been consistent with that. Um, but 
prior to the last several months, um, we had a really good run. The prior 30 years was below average inflation growth. So we did uh, – and when you think about it, over the last 30 years, uh, you know, when do you really start becoming aware of finances, the economy, inflation? Probably – 20s, right? When you either graduate from high school and get a job or graduate from college and get a job. So really, for people who are about age 50 or younger, they've never really even seen a elevated inflationary environment. And we certainly have plenty of clients who can recount buying homes with mortgages that were 15, 16% at one time in the late uh, 70s, early 80s time frame. And that just sounds otherworldly today where mortgages at one time, not too long ago, like a year or two ago, you get a mortgage in the twos, 2%. Now we're in a more uh, normalized range of four, sometimes a little bit over 5%. Still good rates, still historically great mortgage bar- borrowing rates. Um but can you imagine buying a house with a 15% mortgage? I mean, the amount of house that you could afford is probably a third of what most people are living in today. So we had a really good run for inflation. If we are starting to see it tick up uh, substantially for a period of time, then there's some things you can do to try to protect yourself. Don't keep too much in the bank. Keep your emergency fund in there. That's for sure. That's necessary and needed. Um, but don't keep more than your emergency fund in there. Put in higher earning assets, and I'll get to what some of those are uh, later on. Then uh, you want to make sure that you keep an eye on your spending patterns. Uh, inflation is very personal. Uh, Raising prices in some goods and services does not affect uh, other people who don't consume as many of those rising goods and services prices as others. So if you can adapt your lifestyle somewhat, you can uh, better navigate your way through rising inflation. Uh, And then thirdly, don't shy away from investing. There is this idea that rising um, inflation, too soon, too fast, too much inflation. When you talk about inflation, a little is normal and natural and healthy. Too much too soon is disruptive. We're starting to see some of that develop now. So it can be disruptive. And there's this idea that rising inflation is automatically going to be bad for the stock market or for investing in equities. And that is not necessarily the case. Um, profitability is still the biggest driver of stock performance over the mid to long term. In the short term, day to day, heck, the stock market is like a long tail cat and a room full of rocking chairs. I mean, anything can happen anywhere on the planet and the stock market can react on a daily basis and similarly on a weekly or monthly basis. But once you start stretching out your hold period to years, three to five years and beyond, um, then it's really the profitability of the company that has most to do with how its stock price typically performs. And what companies can do in an inflationary environment is, is they have the ability to combat to a certain degree 
rising prices, rising prices for the goods and services that that they input to produce whatever goods and services they output. The raw, their raw materials, you know, is uh, something they turn into an end product. So companies have the ability to just pricing on their goods and services. Obviously, that can mean raise them to combat the raising of their their inputs. Uh, they can negotiate with suppliers. They can buy in bulk if they see uh, they think uh, um, inflation is going to be with us for a while. Instead of placing an order for, say, six months, every six months, maybe they place an order for two years and they lock in current prices for two years instead of six months. So that means they can typically, you know, lower their overall cost of production. Um, so raising some prices on their the goods and services they output, as well as trying to control costs on the inputs, is a way that companies have the ability to adapt to inflation and maintain in maybe not in the short run, maybe not on a quarterly basis, but on, on a medium-term basis, on an annualized basis, they have the ability to combat inflation and maintain their profitability levels or, in some cases, increase them. So the idea that inflation has to be bad for investing and the stock market is not true. Um, and if time permits, I'll get into some of the specifics for that. But I'm, I'm going to leave that conversation right there for right now. Um, the other thing I want to talk about as it relates to investing is what inflation does to the invest investments in bonds, which are a classic and typical part of most investors' portfolio. Um, inflation will have the effect of driving up interest rates, current interest rates, um, on prevailing savings instruments like savings accounts and on new bonds that get issued by the government or uh, by companies. Um, as prices increase, as people start to see prices increase, they aren't willing to accept, they aren't willing to buy your you know, General Motors two-year bond that's that you're on, that is only paying two percent. They're like, well, forget that. Two percent. That's you know that'll be gone in no time. I'm not going to buy that. So then G General Motors has to issue a bond, say paying four percent. Oh, well, okay, well, that's a little bit more attractive. So ri rising inflation will cause through a confluence of a variety of factors rising interest rates. Rising interest rates are the nemesis of the bond holder because interest rates and bond values act like a seesaw. As interest rates rise, the prevailing value or the, the value of prevailing already issued bonds declines. Because if I got bonds, back to the example, that are only paying out 1% or 2% per year, well, there's new bonds being issued over here at 4 or 5%. Well, if I have to sell my lower-yielding bonds, I get to sell them for a discount because no one wants one or two bonds unless I give them a deal. 
So it causes so rising interest rates forces the values of prevailing bonds and bond funds, bond mutual funds, ETFs downward. So you'll still get your income, you'll still get the the payments, the interest that come from bonds, but it's going to be at a lower level than new or current bonds that are being issued. That will drive down the value of bond holding, individual bonds, bond funds, and ETFs. And we've been seeing that. We've been banging this drum now for at least the last five years, maybe closer to 10, that bonds are not going to be the diversifier from stocks that they that they traditionally were 30 years ago. They're not going to be that way today because we've been in such a low interest rate environment for about the last 10 years. And so as rates are, we're starting to see raise, rates rise, bond, bond values are going to go down. We're starting to see that. That means people who are very bond heavy in their investment portfolios are going to have a harder go of it to to gain growth, um, we think, in the next, say, one to three years. And so for, for a while now, we have been reducing or eliminating the amount of bond holdings in our client portfolios, uh, this being one of the reasons. There's a couple other ones, but this being a main one. When we're in a low, already in a low interest rate environment, um, rates while they can stay low for a while, and they did, bonds can survive in that environment and be okay. Uh, but once they start to rise, bond values decline, and they aren't the diversifier from stocks that people think they are in a rising interest rate environment. So what once used to be considered the traditional retirement asset allocation, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, um, We've been saying for years now that's that is old, antiquated thinking in this environment. And if you're holding that high a percentage of bonds in your portfolio, you probably want to adjust your rate of return expectations uh, going forward, at least here in the near term, because bond values are starting to decline. Um, all right. I got to stop right here. Take a quick break. I'm going to come back, wrap things up, this conversation on inflation, what you can do about it, how detrimental is it to your overall financial situation, how you can navigate your way through it as best you can if we're going to stay in an elevated environment. If you want to jump in on the conversation, give me a call, 627-7979. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM790 WNIS. Welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. I'm from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. You can request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter 
at wealthwayadvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the dialog boxes there, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we will use your information for is just to send you the information that you request. Or I should say that's all we use your name and address for is just to send you the information that you request. Uh, Allison and I will be back live in two weeks on Tuesday, April 26th at 6 p.m. as usual. But in the meantime, you can catch the show as a rebroadcast on Saturday morning coming up here. Or you can get it as a podcast. Search for Dollars in Common Sense. Wherever you get your podcast, download us, take us with you wherever you go and listen to a, listen to us on your own schedule. And if you want to connect via social media, we are on Facebook and LinkedIn. Search for Wealthway Financial Advisors uh, on those social media apps. We are not on uh, Tinder or um, Instagram or Snapchat TikTok. Yeah, we're not doing TikTok videos yet. <laughs> so just Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, okay, 627-7979. If you got a question or comment about your own personal financial situation or want to jump in on the conversation, the few minutes we have left. But if not, I'm going to finish things up here this evening. I want Talking about inflation, talking about uh, where we are historically, um, what you can do about it to help fight the effects of inflation. Uh, before the break, I was talking about investing, how um, investing is not something to shy away from due to for inflationary reasons, uh, except perhaps the component of your investment portfolio that is in bonds, because those are hypersensitive to changes in interest rates. Inflation tends to drive up inf- int- interest rates, which has the corresponding effect of driving down bond values. And so you might want to consider uh, lowering or reducing the amount of bond exposure you have in your investment portfolio. And one of the reasons that people, in addition to as a hedge or as a complement to equity investing to help uh, moderate the the swings, the big short-term swings of the equity market. A lot of people invest in bonds for income purposes because bonds pay, you know, a, a coupon or a or an interest charge. Some pay pay monthly, some pay quarterly, some pay annually, some don't pay it at all. It's built into the price of the bond, uh, and conversation gets a little bit more complex after that point. But bonds pay interest. And people use interest to spend money, to pay the mortgage and the car payment and buy groceries with and gift to their grandkids. So the in- so a lot of people buy bonds for income purposes to supplement their lifestyle. Well, you don't – and this is a common fallacy that we hear from a lot of people. Is you don't need income-producing investments in order to have income from your investments. Okay, so you don't have to invest in bonds because they pay uh, interest. You don't have to invest in um, large established S&P 500 companies because they pay a dividend. I mean, not, that's nice and we'll take it. But, it. but you don't have to invest 
for income in order to have income from your portfolio. And that's never been more true than nowadays where transaction costs of buying and selling stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, has essentially gone to almost zero. It's, very, it's, it's negligible for most of the major providers, the Schwab, TD, Ameritrade, Fidelity, Vanguard, um, other big um, brokerage houses. Uh, the trading fees have gone to almost zero. So philosophically, from our professional point of view, we have our clients invested primarily for growth. And then we shave off shares of XYZ mutual fund or ETF, uh, exchange traded fund. Uh, we, share, we shave off shares to produce the income they need to spend. So invest for growth, sell as needed to provide the income you need to live your life. You don't have to invest for income in order to have income from your portfolio. Another sort of antiquated notion that still kind of hangs around today. And the benefits of doing that is that you gain the higher long-run rates of return associated with equities, with stocks, instead of bonds, which are traditionally uh, about uh, a third to a half less than, uh, or two-thirds to a half less than what long-run rates of return are from equities. So I understand why people do do the bonds, but... Um, you're going to have to be careful in this rising uh, interest rate inflationary environment. And then finally, in order to uh, wrap things up here, uh, a little historical perspective on what has happened over the last several um, rate hikes that we have seen from the Federal Reserve. So without getting into all the technicalities of the complexities of of why the Federal Reserve raises or lowers short-term interest rates, and by the way, they don't control all the interest rates. They don't call, control your, your bank savings account interest rate. They don't control the rates on uh, corporate bonds. They don't even control the rates on government bonds once they're released into the marketplace. A lot of that is all market determined, but they do control the intrabank lending interest rate called the Fed funds rate, which then does have a ripple effect throughout the economy. So just clear up that misconception. The Fed does not control all interest rates, just a few key interest rates that do have some impact. So the Fed tightens the money supply or raise uh, when they raise interest rates, and they do that usually to cool off a heated economy. Over the There's been seven rate hike cycles over the last 44 years, seven periods, including the one we're in right now. And over those last seven periods over the last 44 years, about one every six years, we've had a raising environment. Only two of those years were was the performance of the S&P 500 negative. And even there, it was slightly negative. Five were positive. That's why tightening, raising rates isn't necessarily bad for your investments. That's all the time I got for tonight. Be back in two weeks. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You've been listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. The preceding program was sponsored and paid for by Wealthway Financial Advisors. We are solely responsible for its content.